Hello everyone, welcome to chapter 9 um, of our breakdown of Vladimir Lenin's Imperialism, the Highest Stage of Capitalism. This chapter is called The Critique of Imperialism, and Lenin is going to be attacking, uh, attacking imperialism as an ideology, right? So, uh, Lenin's theory, of course, is that imperialism is driven by finance capital, uh, the monopolies, the trusts, and the cartels. Um, formed by the banks and industrial capitalists who want to expand their capital overseas and take over more territory. So the finance capitalists are the ones who are driving imperialism, but that doesn't mean they're the only people who adopt imperialist ideology, right? Who who support these wars, who support um, the imperialists in their actions. Um, and that ideology can penetrate the working class, um, and it can penetrate uh, the petty bourgeois class, especially... Um, meaning academics, uh, as Lenin calls them and Marx called them bourgeois academics, um, often carry water for imperialist ideology. Um, and he's also going to talk about reform and revolution a little bit here and how um, some of the ideas coming out at the time, uh, like by example, were to have the police monitor the finance capitalists. And they thought, you know, the police, there's no way the police will become corrupt and just go along with imperialism. You know, we'll just have anytime the finance capitalists are trying to do imperialism, the police will say, nope, don't do that. And that'll solve it. You know, and Lenin saying this is ridiculous. Of course, you need to nationalize the major industry. You need to nationalize the banks. You need to put them in the hands of the workers, you know, who have no no incentive to do imperialist um imperialist violence overseas as the finance capitalists do because the workers are the ones who get sent to fight and die in these wars right while the finance capitalists are the ones who get rich but how does this ideology penetrate um so you see it even today uh, when i worked for the bernie campaign and you could even argue bernie's a social democrat who supported imperialism in the past right he voted for the bombing of yugoslavia um and there are a few other things you can point to um, where bernie supported imperialist action um but as I was uh, canvassing for Bernie and trying to get people to vote for him, I had all these professors at my college who I really respected, you know, who were anti-war, who talked about peace, who would teach us about the socialist leanings of Martin Luther King. And then when I asked them to vote for Bernie, they would say, no, I'm voting for Biden because I think he can beat Trump. You know, they had fallen into this imperialist ideology of voting for someone like Biden, who's now appointed Susan Rice to his cabinet, the, uh, one of the people who was the architect of the overthrow of Libya. Right. So you have even though these professors um, only benefit from imperialism and the fact that we live in the richest country in the world, which is extracting wealth, they don't directly benefit from, say, the war in Iraq. Right. Um, as finance capitalists do, as oil oligarchs do, he, uh, they're still spreading that imperialist ideology and voting for imperialist political candidates. Um, even though most of our political candidates are imperialist, they're siding with someone like Joe Biden over Bernie, right? Showing their material analysis of what's going on is lacking. And that's what Lenin's trying to do here, is show what the material base of imperialism is and, and what we need to do to destroy it. And what he's criticizing is those who, who have reformist ideas about imperialism, right? Who don't think that socialism is the only solution um, for stopping imperialism. Um, so he's going to address, too, um, there's a dialectic sort of between oppressed and um, oppressed and the oppressors. So in the U.S., you know, if we're to stop doing imperialism, that's going to make us poor, as I just said. So there there's sort of motivation, you know, um, for our proletariat and for the academics to support imperialism, right, because it keeps us rich. Um, it keeps the what's known as the labor aristocracy. And there's been some literature recently saying the labor aristocracy is a myth. Um, and I would argue that we do need to build working class power in in the United States 
um, and then you know have revolutions in the periphery in the global south and in the east and then kind of crush u.s finance capital like a vice in between organized labor of the u.s and the organized labor of the countries we've colonized that's kind of my idea um but lenin's saying that a lot of people um support these wars and support expansion um, because they like being the richest country in the world right or they like you know the wealth that comes with you know siphoning raw materials out of colonies so that's um one of the ways in which this ideology permeates through classes that don't even necessarily directly benefit from it right um so Lenin critiques the Spanish-American War, um, says it was an imperialist war, um, and then he's going to quote Lincoln uh, here, and he says, Lincoln, Lincoln was critiquing the Spanish-American War um, as well, and he says, when the white man governs himself, this is self-government. But when he governs himself and also governs another man, that is more than self-government, that is despotism. So uh, Lincoln saying the Spanish-American War was bad, um, it was just... Um, America, rather than governing themselves, they were doing imperialism. They were going and taking these colonies. And Lenin, you know, while this is kind of cool that Lincoln said this and that, you know, we have an American president who came out against imperialism, um, Lenin says the critique falls short because it doesn't recognize the relationship finance capital has in the Spanish-American imperialist war, right? This was American finance capitalists trying to take colonies, Cuba, um, who was all taken uh, in the Spanish-American War? Puerto Rico was one to take colonies and expand their influence. You know, um, as as Lenin's laid out in the previous chapters, it's not just the white man trying to govern um, another man, as it kind of was with slavery. Um, and even slavery had an economic base too, of course. But this is just finance capitalists trying to expand the amount of territory that they have. Um, yeah. So Lenin says that non-Marxist intellectuals um, blame imperialism on the lack of free competition because they don't understand the flow of capital or the system in its totality, which comes from studying Marx and from studying books like this. Um, so what that means is, uh, er, so what Lenin says is this is a reactionary ideology, right? Um, you, free competition was how capitalism started. And it evolved out of free competition as capitalists killed each other off in the market and monopolized um, and formed this finance capital and these capitalist cartels and monopolies that dominate every market. To want to destroy that and go back to free competition is reactionary, right? We can only go forward. And to go forward is to destroy the finance capitalists and build socialism. To go backwards was, would be to go back to the free competition of capitalism, right? You hear a lot of people saying this. Um, Robert Reich is one. I like Robert Reich, but he keeps saying we need to fix capitalism. We're going towards a new gilded age. It's like, no, this is how capitalism evolves. And Lenin's saying you'll understand this if you read Marx. If you, if you understand Marxist economics and you can see the system of capitalism in its totality, you realize that capital will always concentrate itself at the top, and these finance capitalists... Um, will fight amongst themselves uh, using violence and, and sending the working class to war to fight in, um, in wars for capital accumulation. And you can understand this by reading books like this, The Accumulation of Capital by Luxembourg, or, of course, Capital by Marx. You can understand how the flow of capital works, and you can understand that the system's in constant movement and growth, right? It's not a stagnant system. You can't go backwards to free, free competition. It's monopolized at the top, and now these monopolies have insane power. And the only thing 
um, that's left to be done is for the working class to take power over the monopoly class, not to reduce the monopolies to a level where they can freely compete with each other. And Lenin's going to quote here uh, someone who compiles international stock statistics, um, not a Marxist, and he's going to say, I can see how Marxists um, wouldn't understand the flow of capital, right? Wouldn't understand how capital constantly needs to expand and its need for growth will force the capitalists to go abroad into imperialism. And the compiler of international stock statistics is just looking at how much money everyone's making in the imperialist countries. And he goes, oh, eventually there won't be any more imperialism, right? Eventually they'll stop fighting these wars for capitalist expansion, which of course we know hasn't happened. Look in 2020, if you live in the US, we have a thousand military bases and nine wars and a drone war in Africa and the CIA and blah, 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 whatever. We know imperialism hasn't stopped. And Lenin says, I understand how a non-Marxist uh, would make uh, this mistake, but a Marxist should know better. And Kotsky, um, Lenin's rival, is claiming to be a Marxist. And he's doing apologetics for the UK and their imperialism um, and says that democracy between nations should be pursued and that the UK and the um, imperialist countries are spreading democracy, right? The oldest imperialist trope in the book. Um, and this is the Social Democrats at the time, right? And Social Democrats have a long history of supporting imperialist action. Um, that's continued till today, but in the U.S., you know, Social Democrats seem like radical communists compared to the rest of our disgusting, um, imperialist, murderous political establishment. So uh, Hilferding here, Lenin's going to quote from him, and he's going to make the point I was making earlier, that we can't go backwards to free capitalism, right? We can only go forwards. Only socialism um, can progress society and end the violence of imperialism. It's time to go to a better mode of production past capitalism, not backwards to the first stage of capitalism um, with that free competition, right? And Lenin asks, what is to stop... Um, free competition from once again transforming itself into monopoly capital if we do that right and and nothing you know nothing can stop the flow of capital and nothing can stop um, it from monopolizing so long as you have private property ownership and you have one class who exploits another um, in in the mode of production uh, so Kotsky says the countries with the most free trade are the ones who dominate the global market um, He's saying that the countries who open up or, you know, who do the most free trade um, because they have large trading statistics with their colonies and are exporting and importing a lot of raw materials out of the colonies. Kotsky looks at that and he says, oh, that's why they're doing well. Um, the most rich countries are doing well because they're trading the most. And, and Lenin says, no, it's because they have the, um, the best imperialist tactics, those who are the most ruthless um, and those who expand their capital um, with the most violence are the ones who are doing the best in the global market. Um, and he goes to, he says that Germany was doing better than Britain at the time, and Germany was using tariffs to undercut competitors and, and other economic warfare tactics. Um, so Lenin's saying, it's the imperialist tactics that are doing, um, doing or helping countries become rich, not trading. And he uses Germany as an example because Germany's using tariffs, um, stopping free trade to undercut the prices of other countries. Um, so it's those who are the most successful in their imperialist tactics are those who dominate the global market. And post-World War II, post-Lenin, of course we've seen that with the U.S. You know, we built this enormous military that dwarfs all other militaries. We have uh, drone surveillance all over the world. We have a thousand military bases all over the world. Um, and we have the World Bank, the IMF in the pocket of U.S. finance capitalists, the CIA, of course, 
all these institutions, these armed bodies um, who prop up imperialism. And as a result, it's made the U.S. finance capitalists the richest of anywhere in the world. Um, so finance capitalists export capital to their colonies while also debt trapping them to collect payments. Lenin's going to talk about how this happened at the time. Uh, I basically just covered that with the World Bank and the IMF, how they do their structural adjustment loans to keep people trapped in debt. Um, and Lenin's really going to critique um, the ideology of imperialism when he brings up people who died in the Anglo-Boer War. And he says, Kotsky's theories are a distraction for the people who lost their relatives in the war because it gives them a hope for peace under capitalism. And it diverts their attention from the antagonisms of capitalism, which are causing people's relatives to be murdered, working class people's relatives. And he's saying, Kotsky, you, um, it's disgusting that you're giving these people hope for a capitalism that won't be violent because it'll never happen. And more of our relatives are going to die. More of the people we love are going to be sent to uh, ridiculous imperialist wars that don't even need to happen until we destroy capitalism. And as an academic, as Kotsky claiming to be a Marxist, saying we can keep continue with capitalism um, and, and uh, without having imperialism, uh, Lenin saying you're lying to people. You're lying to the proletariat and those who are sending their, uh, their, their family to fight and die in these wars. And he says super imperialism won't um, create peace. It will just create spheres of influence to be controlled by separate finance capitalists. What have we seen post-Lenin, post-World War II? Um, we have this super imperialism, right? But it's, it's turned into the West. Um, and right now it's kind of the West versus the East, uh, trying to see who can control the most territory. You know, China obviously has much different tactics than the U.S. They're doing what they call mutual development, trying to... Um, uh, help these countries develop and, and develop peaceful alliances. They're in zero wars. But the West, you know, Western finance capital does everything it can to crush and siphon resources out of the rest of the world. Um, so as Lenin said, rather than um, countries, it's still kind of divided by countries, but mostly spheres of influence, right? The West looks to um, influence and control every other country in the world. Um, and... Yeah, imperialism robs nations of their national independence. Um, Hilferding says their sovereignty is stolen, um, and they develop capital capitalism and colonized nations um, who who aren't asking for it. And and that's what imperialism does. It forces Western, you know, we know the history of colonialism not only forcing Western capital on these countries, but forcing Western culture, right? Forcing them to be Christian. Um, trying to put Western values, which we believe to be more civilized, in them. And, and along with that has come disgusting racism. You see so much um, xenophobia towards Muslims in the U.S., towards uh, Chinese people, you know, xenophobia. You see racism towards uh, Mexicans and people in, uh, in the global south um, or in Latin America. Um, and that comes along with imperialism. That's part of this ideology. And at the end, um, they mention... Um, the, what they mentioned in the last chapter, that empires usually fall um, when people in the colonized nations start to rise up. So people who are having capitalism and Western values pushed onto them are going to have something to say about that, right? They're going to say, no, we have our own culture and we want to develop our own economy. You get out of here, Western finance capitalists, and they're going to rise up and they're going to fight. And that's what we've seen. And we've seen Western capital brutally and mercilessly, you know, look to look to kill those movements, um, you know, Operation Condor, uh, the CIA coup in Iran, the CIA coup in Indonesia, um, what the British did in Ireland and in the uh, in India, 
you know, we've seen Western finance capital brutally crush these movements, but these movements have not died as much as the finance capitalists would like you to think they did after the fall of the Soviet Union. They they have not. And like I said, I think our, our you know, or, um, my goal and the goal of what I think the goal of my comrades in America should be is to organize labor and to crush American finance capital in between the vice of the periphery countries who are building socialism and the organized labor of the American socialists. And we should look to um, take the wealth from the finance capitalists and distribute it to the working class. And that's the only way we'll stop imperialism. So that's chapter nine, y'all. Um, great chapter. Um, Lenin, uh, previous to chapter nine, it's a bit more scientific, right? He's pulling from accounting books. He's saying this is how imperialists form. This is how capitalist combines form. This is how monopolies form. Um, but now he's talking about the ideology of imperialism. He's kind of roasting Kotsky. You know, brings up the thing about the Anglo-Boer War there. Says you're you're doing apologetics for imperialism, which has killed the families of actual workers. Um, so great chapter here. Uh, next will be chapter 10, the place of imperialism in history. And then we are on to this bad boy, state and revolution, which um, will tie in really well with imperialism. So gotta love Lenin. All right, thanks for watching, everyone. Peace. Thank mm -hmm. you.